0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome,
1: welcome, 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 welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast.
0: On September 5th, the families of Michael Kobrig and Michael Spavor will, on the 100th or rather 1,000th day of their detention in China, invite Canadians to participate in 7,000 Steps for Freedom and the March for the Michaels. And joining us on the program to speak about this event and about what her family and what she is experiencing, and uh, I think she can also speak for the Spavor family, certainly to a certain extent, is uh, Vina Najibullah. She is the wife of uh, Michael Kovrig. Vina, thank you very much for coming on the program. How are you?
2: Thank you so much, Roy, for having me. I- I'm-, I'm doing okay. Thank you.
0: So a 1,000 days in captivity on September the 5th for your husband and Mr. Spavor. Uh, it's a reminder of two people living in terrible hardship. I think this is where we have to begin our conversation. Can you talk to us about what it is that your husband is experiencing?
2: Yes, well well, thank you so much for also mentioning the solidarity event uh, that our family and Michael Spavor and Michael's friends are organizing on September 5th. Um, I'll start there and then I'll explain a little bit more about um, what these 1,000 days have been for us. Um, We're organizing the event to mark the fact that this has been a 1,000 days of unjust detention to honor the um, incredible resilience and strength that both of these men have shown and to demand action to finally bring them home. Because it is unfathomable that a 1,000 days has passed and they're still being held unjustly arbitrarily because of no fault of their own. Michael and Michael Spavor are in this situation because of a bigger geopolitical uh, gain between the United States and China uh, a much bigger competition that has nothing to do with them, and yet Canada and Michael have been caught up in this for nearly 1,000 days. It is unjust, and it has to come to an end.
0: Yes, it does. Uh, when we talk about your husband and his time in a Chinese prison, yeah. and he hasn't been sentenced, he has been found guilty, but he hasn't been sentenced, which I find very interesting, and we can talk about that in, in a short while. But there's an aspect of his daily life which carries over into the uh, event that you're going to be having in Ottawa and are ac- yes. asking Canadians to participate in across this country. And, and and one of the things you're asking people to do, and which you'll do in Ottawa on the fifth of September, is walk seven thousand steps. Why is that important, Vina? What's the what's what's the significance? Yes, uh, seven
2: thousand steps is uh, how much Michael paces around his cell every day to stay mentally and physically strong. Um, I mean, it's it's unbelievable um, what he's been going through, what he's endured in these last two and a half years. And um, I've known Michael for 20 years, and even I am amazed um, and inspired by how he's face this, um, I mean, we can't even comprehend. I mean, a lot of us are obviously struggling with the pandemic. I am as well. And and I know how hard it's been for us, even in this circumstance, to to exercise, to do things, to stay strong. And, and Michael is finding that discipline within to every day take 7,000 steps. And I'm hoping that collectively, if all of us around Canada come together and mark that day in that same spirit of determination and discipline and take those 7000 steps in solidarity with him that with each step that we take he gets one step closer to coming home and
3: to being free
0: i think it's wonderful for canadians or would be wonderful for canadians and wonderful support for michael michael your your husband and michael spavor to know that people in this country were on the 5th of september doing what you're asking and what you're putting forward and uh, just to bottom line it, in Ottawa, people may join the march, uh, which begins at 9.30 in the morning. That's and, right. Right? On and, Sunday uh, morning, 9.30. Right. And uh, it, it, it goes to Majors Hill Park, right?
2: So it begins at Windsor Park, and we will walk through the canal to Majors Hill Park. Obviously, Ottawa is where we'd like people who are nearby to come and join us in person so that there is strength in our numbers. But I also would invite Canadians and, and people, friends around the world, and, and people will be doing this around the world, um, to to walk however many steps they can, wherever they are, to mark the day, to remember these two Canadians who have endured this injustice and have done so with so much strength of character. And hopefully by doing this collectively, by showing this solidarity, we will inspire action to bring them home.
0: It's something that we that can... Is
2: ultimately, the goal is to bring them home.
0: Yeah. It's something people can do very easily yeah. In as family units. They can do it as neighborhoods, can do it as communities, can turn it into a provincial event. We already hope it's going to be a national event. So on the 5th of September, any time during the day, the march in Ottawa starts at 9.30 in the morning, Eastern Time in Ottawa, but you can do it any time uh, during the day. And then uh, post a photo on social media with the hashtag uh, bring them home. Post a yes. photo. So walk 7,000 steps or however many you can wherever you are on the 5th of September. Do it as a family. Do it as a as a neighborhood. Do it as a town, as a city. And and then post the photographs on social media with hashtag bring them home. Uh, information is available. Tell us where the information is available, Avina, for people who want to find out more. So
2: we have, a, we have an event page, a Facebook group uh, called March for, for the Michael. Uh, You can register there. You can show your support. So even if you can't come to Ottawa, you can uh, show your interest um, and uh, help us make the event uh, more better known. So you can definitely get that on the Facebook event page. Also on other social media, Twitter, Instagram. So wherever you find your news. But it is Sunday, September 5th. Um, I'm grateful to you also, Roy, for uh, giving me this time to, to share directly with the Canadians and your listeners. And I hope that they will join us. Um, it's been really difficult. There's so many elements of this that have been heartbreaking and painful for Michael and for for us. But one thing that helps, and, and I keep reminding Michael of this in my letters, is that he's not alone. No matter how singular and solitary this experience may feel to him, he's not alone. We are with him, and Canadians from around the country and friends around the world are with him. And I, I know that that gives him hope and that gives him faith that. He will not be forgotten that we will do what's possible to bring him home. And hopefully this is the last grim milestone that we will be marking uh, and that we don't get the three years um, because December would mark three years. And my hope is that with this collective action and hopefully with um, changes in in the fall, with opportunities in the fall, we can finally bring him home and we don't have to look at another milestone in December.
0: Uh, Vina, What are the conditions like that Michael lives under? Because I think it's important for us to, for Canadians to know this, because you said something just before the break, and that is we're going to have a new government at at the end of September. And it's going to be the responsibility, I believe, of the new government, however it's formed. And I'd love to see all the political parties get together and pragmatically work on getting your husband and Mrs. Pavor back to this country. But it's important for people to know what the conditions are like that Michael lives under. What can you share with us?
2: Yes. um, Thank you, Roy. It's it's difficult for for us to know exactly um, what Michael has been experiencing, but we get uh, glances of that in his letters. And, you know, he talks about how it's. A concrete jungle or how it's a tiny cell um, that he hasn't seen a tree in a thousand days or that he hasn't been outside. So there are are glimpses of his daily life that we get or the kind of the monastic surroundings that he describes. Um, He also says things like, you know, the experience has been a real boot camp in forbearance. Uh, that was in his most recent July letter to us, where, and that really stood out to me. It's that the boot camp in forbearance, and it's really well put. Um, his main solace are books. Um, it took us months uh, to advocate for him to be able to get books. Uh, fortunately, now he does. Um, he mentioned in one letter that um, in his childhood, his uh, books were his best friends, and that that's become the case now as well. That. Um, he finds a tremendous amount of solace in them, and we send him all the books that he requests and, and try to get as many to him as possible. Um, he also uh, loves to sing. Uh, Michael used to be in, in a band in his youth, and that's also really serving him now. So he sings songs and remembers lyrics. Um, he's a beautiful writer, so whenever he does get to write letters, he, he writes these really beautiful letters that I think help him process uh, the experience as well. But but otherwise, it's, you know, a windowless cell, and every day it's the same thing. So he has to, through sheer discipline of spirit, um, just will himself to continue to um, do things like walk around himself, meditate, pray, sing, read books, you know, like try to have As much agency and control over his surroundings as he can, Um, and you know he's being philosophical about it and stoic, but I know it's taking a toll, and it's certainly taking a toll on all of us as well, out here fighting uh, for his freedom.
0: Yeah, you mentioned uh, that he sings, and I know that he was the lead singer in Budapest uh, with a band (laughs) called Bankrupt. That's
4: right. And the band Bank. I'm sorry.
2: It was a punk band, yes. This the punk a, band before he and I met. So this was uh, in his twenties, um, yeah, his youth. He was um, right, he was and a punk the band, yes.
0: and the band has written a song for Michael. Yes, and uh, and right. and it's called "The Plane to Toronto." May I just play a little bit of it? Absolutely, yeah.
2: No, it's it's a beautiful gesture. Yes. Yeah.
0: So we're going to play a little bit of the song by uh, the band in Budapest in Hungary, Bankrupt. Uh, Michael was the lead singer for the punk rock band back in the 90s. Here's what they have written for, for Michael Kovrig. So there is the group bankrupt as they exist today in uh, yes. 2021 when Michael sang for Michael Corby was the Michael Corby's lead singer in the uh, early 90s. A nice gesture, eh? That's a really positive gesture.
2: Well, and I hope, I mean, that is certainly my dream and that of everybody fighting for Michael, that right. we can get him on a plane to Toronto. I mean, that right. is very true. It's yeah. it's the goal that I wake up with every morning is what can I do today for that to become the reality.
0: Vina, you know, what, what's your message to whoever forms the next government of canada and uh, to the parties that will become the opposition and the new government's going to have an opportunity in the fall when world leaders will be able to engage during their scheduled meetings but what, what do you say to the the people who will form the, gov- the government in a few weeks
2: I mean, my message is simple it's time to bring michael home uh, we need to be pragmatic we need to be strategic and we have to find a way to break the sailmate We've been in a stalemate for nearly 1,000 days. There is a solution for this. We have to engage diplomatically with the U.S. and China to find it. And as you said, there will be opportunities for that coming up with the meetings at the G20 and with the climate change meeting in November. It's time. Michael has paid the price. It is unjust. It is unnecessary. His detention can and must be brought to an end. And I hope that they will work together. This is not about partisanship. Uh, This is about people, innocent Canadians who paid a price, and it is time to bring them home.
0: It is indeed. Remind us again about September the 5th and what Canadians can do on that day.
2: Absolutely. September 5th is when we will be walking in solidarity with Michael and Michael Spavor. We'll be taking 7,000 steps for freedom, uh, urging uh, the government in Ottawa and uh, in the U.S. and China to work together to finally bring them home.
0: And everybody can participate in person if you're in Ottawa, and if you're not in Ottawa, anywhere in this country, you can decide as an individual, as a family, as a group. Maybe you're a walking group and you can do that, or you're, you're runners. Just just take seven thousand steps for Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor, the two Michaels, and bring them home, and then take photographs of what you're doing and post them on social media with the hashtag Bring Them Home September the 5th. It's when there are a thousand days, a thousand days they will have been in. In unjust captivity. Last question. How are you doing?
2: Thank you so much, Roy. Uh, it has been a difficult, difficult process for me and for the rest of Michael's family to go through. But what gives me hope and faith um, is knowing that we're not alone in this, that people care. Uh, that also gives Michael hope. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a person of faith, and I believe that our efforts will succeed and will, will bring Michael home. Thank you so much.
0: Well, let's get back to the issue of the election that's going on in this country. And uh, yesterday we had Aaron O'Toole with us, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, as I've been telling you. We expect that next weekend we'll have Jagmeet Singh with us, the leader of the New Democrats. And uh, is this turning into an election like we didn't expect or many people may not have expected with um, Mr. Trudeau's popularity sliding, Mr. Singh's popularity climbing, and Mr. O'Toole with, I think, the opportunity to come up the middle. But the person who knows all about this is the president on and CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs Canada. And Ipsos does great polling for Global News. Daryl Bricker joins us. Daryl, I don't know how many elections we have uh, covered or I've talked to you about. It's, it's been over 30 years. But this is this one is really developing into something fascinating to me. Am I right?
4: Uh, yeah, you are right, and I'm equally fascinated uh, because this is going in a direction that I don't think anybody really predicted prior to the campaign. Maybe in you know Aaron O'Toole's wildest dreams, he saw something like this. But I don't think that most reasonable political analysts would have seen what we're seeing, or would have assumed that we would see what we're what we're currently seeing.
0: So now you have new polling that will be out tomorrow on mm-hmm. Global News, so we, we're not going to talk about that now. But today, is this federal election on this 29th day of August essentially up for grabs?
4: Yeah, it is pretty much. I mean, when we started into this thing uh, you know, about, almost two weeks ago, uh, actually I think two weeks ago today, uh, what we uh, thought we were going to experience was a sprint by the Liberal Party because they have had many months to prepare for this, with a really clear message, and they were just going to basically leave everybody in the dust and take off and try and find themselves a majority. It was going to be tough, but that was really the only question we were considering, was whether it was going to be a liberal minority or majority. I don't think anybody's now talking about a liberal majority. and The question of whether or not the liberals will even be able to form a minority government is very much up in the air.
0: I remember talking to you, and it has to be maybe two months ago, and we were talking about the potential outcome of the election that we were expecting. And and you did say, um, and I asked you whether there was a possibility of a of, of a of a conservative victory, and you said, if the base turns out, if I hope I remember this correctly, if the base of Mister O'Toole's base turns out in large numbers, if the voting um, numbers across the country are relatively small, and um, if the if if the if they do well, the conservatives do well in certain strategic areas. In, in Canada, then a minority conservative government would not be out of the question, and I will tell you that people sent me emails said both you and both you and Bricker are crazy. Well, maybe not so much because there's always the unknown, right? There's always you. You look at the the um, the, the potentials, and the potential was there for that.
4: Yeah, it, it always was there. And the other thing that I, I probably should have emphasized more at the time, but it became clearer, as we got closer to election, uh, the, the call of the election, was the brittleness of public opinion. Yeah. I think that's the best word to describe it. It's not like it's kind of chipping away. It's shattering. Yeah. And um, there was something about the way the prime minister kicked off this election campaign and the very fact that he was doing it that just really hammered people. And, and, and as a result of that, um, they basically stumbled out of the, uh, the, the starting blocks and just started to go down from there. And by you know, in the next couple of days, we'll see exactly how far.
0: Well, I I know you. I mean, you and I, like I said, we've talked about elections for the last thirty years, and you have made some calls that have been just amazingly accurate, going in long before the 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 numbers actually came out and the votes were counted. So, talk to us, please, about the the this, this fractious electorate or this brittle electorate. Uh, where's it? Where's this? Where's the trend going? Is Mister Trudeau? Uh, The word was uh, in a global news story the other day was Trudeau's popularity craters. Singh is climbing. Um, Is
4: is Trudeau cratering? Yeah, he is. Um, And uh, the reason is because uh, of exactly what we just talked about. Uh, uh, Justin Trudeau uh, has developed this reputation with Canadians as as somebody who's not being straight with them is not telling them the truth. I mean, when we asked on our most recent global survey uh, which leader would say anything to get elected, Justin Trudeau was way ahead of the other two major party leaders. We asked people uh, which party leader has a hidden agenda or which party has a hidden agenda, which is a standard question we've been asking for many, many years, and always the Conservative Party leads on that. Everybody's worried about what the Conservatives are going to do in their government. The Liberals were 10 points ahead on that, ahead of the Conservatives. So you you could just see... um, this all kind of coming together where people had this feeling like they weren't being told what was really going on and then being confronted by something that seemed to be very self-interested in the calling of the election. And where the pundits, I think, got this one wrong is they, a couple of things. One of them was they said, you know, the thinking was that people would very quickly get over this and they would, you know, all of a sudden engage with the issues in the election campaign. They haven't gotten over it. The other thing was that, uh, that the Liberals would have a lot of momentum really early, and they'd be able to take advantage of that, and, and they haven't. And it, principally because the, the way the election was called and what was communicated to, to Canadians underscored the sense that they weren't being told the truth. Yeah, where does Afghanistan fit
0: into all of this, Daryl?
4: Well, Afghanistan is one of those issues that, um, you know, kind of unexpected um, uh, in terms of uh, how it all happened. But when you're the incumbent government... Uh, the only place that people can go to for answers is to you. So it's not something that the opposition parties are really confronted with. It's really something for the government. And quite frankly, you know, the the answers from the liberals have been vague, unsatisfactory, and they've they've been taking a real, uh, you know, a real punishing, uh, going through a real punishing uh, period of time as a result of not being able to do anything. Whether they could do anything or not is another question. I'll leave that up to policy experts. But the perception is that it's just one more thing in which... What Canadians want to have done or or, uh, represented isn't isn't being done or represented. And as a result of that, it's further underscoring this, this, this view that there must be something else going on. There must be some other kind of agenda that they're not being told about, and Justin Trudeau is getting stuck with it. So,
0: and the progressive vote is splitting, is it not? And uh, Mr. Singh is benefiting from that. And if Mr. Singh benefits from that, Mr. Trudeau does not. And if Mr. Singh benefits from that, Mr. O'Toole benefits from that,
4: yes? Correct. And and so one of the things that we're seeing in the polling, at least in our polling, and we'll see what it shows the next couple of days as well, is that, you know, the perception out there, I think, is is being stated in the media, is that uh, 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 Aaron O'Toole is, 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 you know, beating Justin Trudeau. The Conservatives are beating the Liberal Party. That's actually not what's happening. What's happening is both the Liberal, uh, both the NDP and the Conservatives are doing about the same in terms of taking away, away Liberal Party votes. Uh, and the only thing is that the Conservatives were just a- already higher up to begin with. So it, it looks like votes are going to the Conservatives, but they're actually going equally to the NDP and the Conservatives.
0: Well, it's time for Catherine Swift. At Working Canadians on Twitter. Michelle Simpson, former Liberal MP and parliamentary seatmate to uh, Justin Trudeau. And uh, Linda Levadale, vice president of Cambria, Canada, former money editor for the Toronto Sun. And of course, Catherine was the president CEO of the CFIB. What do we call this? Beauties in the Beast. How are you?
5: Hey, Roy. Great.
6: Great, Roy. I want you to know I've got the dog contained.
0: Good. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now, what what have you done to the dog?
6: <laughs> nothing bad, nothing bad. It's just that, yeah, I remembered what happened last time, so it's not going to happen oh, again. That
0: was too good. That was just too good. Hi, Michelle. Hi. So uh, we we're looking at an election situation, the election that's developing now. That really, I I don't know that anybody expected what we're seeing, but there was that undercurrent, was there not, of of feeling that bad decision by Trudeau to call an election at this particular time will be interpreted as ego over substance. And, and here we are. Uh, Jugmeet Singh's popularity is climbing. Trudeau's is cratering. And I said to Darrell Bricker, that will only serve to help Aaron O'Toole. And Mr. Bricker agreed. Um, Michelle, you're the one with the parliamentary experience, sitting beside Mr. Trudeau as his parliamentary seatmate. How's he handling this, do you think?
3: Well... Uh, Honestly, not well. Uh, Justin is someone that needs constant reassurance that he's adored or extremely well-liked. And he's starting to get a real taste of what it is not to be, uh, you know, in sunny ways. And uh, I, I think he's taking it very hard.
0: And there's nobody, Catherine, in in full disclosure, you're a member of the Conservative Party of Canada now. We've not hidden that. Um, There's nobody. It occurred to me during the break, there's really nobody in that cabinet who has the profile to step forward and take some of the weight off Trudeau's shoulders now, is there? They've just been... They just that just isn't that presence. There was a presence in Gretchen's cabinet. There was a presence in Martin's cabinet. Certainly was a presence in Harper's cabinet. But there is not that kind of presence. Would you agree?
6: Well, yeah, I would. I mean, for a long time, Christy Freeland was touted as the you know a, a possible successor. But I think she's undermined herself with some of her, frankly, rather hysterical uh, <laughs> public appearances lately uh, and, and unprofessional demeanor, which, I mean, I hate to criticize other women because women always get criticized for their appearance. But there is a level of professionalism that anybody, male or female, should adhere to, and she doesn't. But, you know, you know what's interesting, though, Roy, they're getting hoist on their own petard, to use that old corny Saying because they have made their party all about Trudeau. I may be I, I may be a card carrying conservative now, but I have voted liberal in the past. And what I would see if I be president, I had very successful relationships with a lot of liberals, Kretsch and Martin, John Manley, and uh, you know on and on. So, you know they have made this not even so much a liberal party, but a Trudeau, you know focused party. So when he goes down, they all go down. And mm-hmm. that and that, b- but they've done that deliberately. And yeah. what really strikes me about the last few days is, you know, you mentioned in your intro there, the arrogance of Trudeau, even though he, uh, you know, his behavior hasn't changed at all. That's what's interesting. The reaction to it has changed. The reaction by the media, the reaction by uh, the electorate and, and so on has changed. But, you know, when he talks about, criticizes the conservatives because not all your MPs or are, 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 are candidates are vaccinated. And yet then we find out, not all the liberal candidates are vaccinated. Right. He he talks about safety, you know, in the pandemic. And then he holds an event which breaks all the rules of social distancing and, and he exceeds the capacity in a given venue and so on. You know, his arrogance is still front and center. Does he not get it at all? I, I have to say, he doesn't.
1: He
0: okay. doesn't get it. So, so Linda, you have uh, you have shown interest in the past in the most recent past and what's happening with the De- New Democrats. I'm not saying that you're a card-carrying no. member of the New Democratic Party, <laughs> but you've but you shown interest in, in the party, and I think rightly so. And so here we have Mr. Singh, the leader of the party. In 2019, was by some people, maybe many people, considered to be uh, maybe a bit of a, an obstacle to the uh, New Democrats doing well. But here he is in 2021, and I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago. Nice guy. Comes across very, very well when you talk to him. It's just, just a pleasant guy to talk to. Um, and, and his popularity is climbing rather dramatically. What do you think about that?
5: Well, you know... We've been here before, let's not forget about Ontario and then Bob Ray. I think that was a shock to all of us. Um, but I think that the status quo, the you know leading conservatives and the liberals, I believe that there's a fractious decide, divide happening with the powerhouses in the political system. One only has to look at, we've got a maverick party now out west, right. sort of like reform. We've got consensus now here in Ontario and let's not forget the People's Party. Also, I just think there's so many issues here. First of all, I want to say the arrogance and the ego of Trudeau call this. I mean, I'm reading editorials and comments and newspapers. One liberal said, I'm totally disgusted. We're going to waste $502 million. Also, where are the briefings on COVID? Does the prime minister stopping that because we know the Delta variant? Afghanistan, I, I listened to your interview, the last one Roy. I think Canadians are very, very upset and they can't afford a home anymore in this country. So what I find really interesting is the NDP have always traditionally beaten up on big, big, bad business and their right to do so, cell phone and et cetera, of the banks. But now you got Trudeau and you got O'Toole attacking big business too. So it's a different landscape, but I think it's backfiring. And I think a lot of Canadians are fed up with the status quo. And that's why. The NDP are coming up and looking not bad.
0: Yeah. Uh, M- Michelle, what do, what do you look for? What are you looking for in this particular election campaign? What interests you on a day-to-day basis? I follow you on Twitter, and I responded to one of your tweets <laughs> yesterday. Yes,
6: and thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're
0: more than welcome. Um, and I pointed out that you were punished for being honest. You, you were punished by the Liberal Party for being ethical, which is, in and of itself, it's it's just mind-blowing. But not that you were punished for being ethical, but given the whole issue about ethics and the liberals. But what do you follow? What do you find interesting?
3: Well, I think, Roy, what I find the most interesting is what's going to happen after this, because I do believe it's almost preordained that it's going to be the status quo at the end of this election, or uh, it could be a conservative minority one or the other. I, I, I'm watching, I'm looking ahead and thinking about history repeating itself. That's one thing the Liberal Party is good at, repeating history. And uh, I want, I, I'm looking down the road because I do believe that Mr. Trudeau will leave within the next couple of years. And to your point, there isn't a, a viable successor uh, identified within caucus, but I think they're going to make the same silly mistake and look outside. Mm-hmm. I, you
0: know, know, exactly I know exactly what you're saying. No, exactly what you're saying. And I mentioned yesterday I was talking to a liberal, a long time liberal friend of mine, uh, who's well connected, and he said, "I want the Conservatives to win a minority government because when that happens, um, the Liberal Party will do what it does; it will uh, it will rid itself of, uh, of Justin Trudeau." and uh, there's not enough that can be done by the conservatives in 2 years so there'll be an election in 2 years and the liberals will bring in mark carney yep. as the as the anointed one and i said there's only two words that come to mind michael knachas yeah,
3: that's right that's right <laughs> exactly and i lived it and i thought oh my god they're doing it again
0: you did live it because you, it was Ignatieff who wanted you to stop posting uh, your yes. expenses.
3: Yes, sir. You're absolutely right.
0: <laughs> Catherine Swift, Linda Leatherdale, Michelle Simpson. And uh, you can uh, find Catherine's organization uh, at WorkingCDNS on Twitter. Linda Leatherdale, vice president of Cambria, Canada, at L. Leatherdale on Twitter and Michelle Simpson, former Liberal MP and seatmate to Justin Tron, uh, Justin Trudeau. I just made up a name, Justin Trudeau, and that
3: was a Freudian slip.
0: <laughs> was wasn't it? <laughs> I'll have to try to figure out what I was intending to say. What I want to know is what you what have you done to your dogs?
6: She's just in her crate.
0: It's never been quiet. Linda's spies. dogs are quiet. <laughs> Your She's dog is quiet.
6: She always gets a treat in her crate, so no problem. But I'm just making sure there won't be a repeat of that last. So how does episode. how does your
0: how does your dog like that roast?
6: Oh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it, <laughs> that was a, a bad, it. there's been talk in this election campaign about a lot of unforced errors, well, that was an unforced error <laughs> on my part, so.
0: All <laughs> right, <laughs> so so as we look down the pike, look down the road towards September the 20th, Linda, let me start with you, what do you see developing, what do you expect, what are you looking for?
5: Well, first of all, I want to make a um, comment on your comment, get out and vote, I mean, we need that, we need really good turnout, and we need young children to younger people to get more involved. But I agree, Um, Catherine, if you can get the Conservatives out, I think there's just um, apathy and we really need it. Now, what I find interesting are all the anti-vaxxers showing up to Trudeau's (laughs) press conferences, one had to be turned down. I think you were gonna see more turning up the heat. I think, um, as I mentioned earlier, I think there's a lot of people, particularly young people who are very upset with this country. And one of the things is, We used to have the dream of home ownership and it's gone through the window and there's a number of reasons, Roy. But I really believe that we need to hear some concrete things. How are we going to deal with a post pandemic? We're just spending more money. So I think there's a lot of issues that voters in Canada need to
0: get out and vote. So, so, so Catherine, you're the former president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, representing the small business community in this country, and they employed employed 8 million people prior to COVID. So the the dollar numbers and uh, and the reality of the... I'm going to ask you what you're looking for, but let me start with this. We we have a deficit that has started to approach half a trillion dollars, which is just mind-numbing. That said, what are you looking for?
6: Well, I'm also, as you know, Roy, an economist, so I I always sort of have that bias. I look at the bottom line. And, you know, you mentioned earlier Jugmeet Singh, and, and he is an amiable guy. He's a likable personality, no question about it. But when I look at his platform, none of which is costed. And by the way, the Liberals haven't even come out with a platform yet. So for guys that called an election, they are pretty unprepared. And that shows that arrogance thing happening again. But the NDP and the Liberals, this particular version of Liberals have been very anti-small business. And given that, like you say, small business is half the economy in Canada. It's not some fringe group that you can sort of shunt aside and not think it's gonna have a horrific impact overall on the economy. And I'll tell you Jagmeet Singh's policies are also devastating for small business. The other interesting sort of personal thing I find is that Jagmeet Singh and, and uh, Justin Trudeau have a lot more in common. They both grew up very privileged people and, and they're both on the left now. And yet personally, they're very financially comfortable because of their parents and grandparents well, and you know, so on.
0: Catherine, yeah. in fairness, Mr. Singh told me about uh, his family having struggled financially, and there was a time where he, as a law student and as a young lawyer, was financially supporting his family. So he did talk about that in my interview with him. But but certainly... Uh, he,
6: he, he His dad had to requalify as a physician in Canada. Yeah, yeah. But once that happened... He's very comfy, and uh, let's face it. Until he realized it was political suicide, he wore bespoke suits, Rolex watches, and drove Bimmers. And so, you know, he, he's 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 a guy that was pretty lucky okay. in his. What life. do you and, g- I
0: mean, in, in about forty five seconds? Because everybody's going to say to me, while, you, Catherine's going to talk about the Conservatives because she's a member of the party." Um, and I know you're more broad based than that. I I know you will say what's on your mind, no matter what the situation is. I've been witness to microphones dying in the studio when you've had enough. Um, so what, what is, what is the, what is the one thing that you're looking for before we turn it over to Ms. Simpson?
6: Well, I would like a a plan for economic growth and this doesn't mean government spending like mad. We've had government spending like mad. We're in debt up to our eyeballs and i would like to see and i disagree with some parts of the conservative plan i mean to be fair yes you're right i will tell the truth i'm not just cuz i happen to be a conservative i'm actually more a small c conservative than anything else and i don't like parts of their platform either they're all making expensive promises what we need is a plan that will promote private business to to thrive and therefore pay lots of taxes so that you know if they do well hire lots of people pay lots of taxes so we can get our debt under control otherwise we're in way deeper trouble than we are now
0: Michelle, as we look forward to 20th of September, so three weeks and a day away, what what are you going to be looking for? What's of interest to you?
3: Well, it, it, for me, it's as simple as, uh, I, you know, I'm going back to basics. I don't know how we're going to pay for any of these promises. But on the one hand, I say I don't know how. I know how, in some respects, that none of the promises that are coming out will ever be honored. We were to have election reform, and I tweeted on that today, uh, and how easily uh, Mr. Trudeau gave up on that. You know, I, I, I find I've become a little bit cynical. I try to read the tea leaves, but I'll tell you, they keep changing.
0: You you ran uh, on the Paul Martin ticket, right?
3: No. Was it Kretchen? No.
0: Was it? Who was it? When there? I ran? Yeah.
3: Oh, the leader! Oh, I was bogged down with the green plan from Mister Dion.
0: Oh, you were, you were, you
3: were. Oh, yeah! Dion. Like I, I went, yeah. I kind of went uh, two in a row.
0: Yeah. Uh,
3: that weren't that were, didn't have any longevity.
0: So my question for you was going to be this: Okay, if if you were uh, had been approached to run for Mister Trudeau, um, would you have done it?
3: Well, it's hard to knowing what I know about him. Well, the answer is absolutely not, and in I, I would say likely not, because I got I did get interested in uh, running because of the Gretchen Martin era. Mm-hmm. That that is what really got me okay. dedicated. Okay.
0: Well, we're going to do this again before the election, of course. Oh, we have to. We, oh, we do, Yeah, we have to. We will, and and let those dogs out. Please, let them out. I'm so sorry Let baby. the dogs let the do- out. Let the dogs out.
5: <laughs> <laughs> My dogs are fine. My Freud- dogs are sleeping.
0: Freudian slips all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> National polling was done by Leger for the Association of Canadian Studies. And uh, here's, uh, here's what the polls were about. I'll just give you a, just a sort of pencil sketch and we'll talk to our guest. A majority of Canadians do not think that vaccine passports are a rights infringement. Also, uh, how do you think vaccinated Canadians view the unvaccinated? And uh, what's the support level now? What's the support level for vaccine passports? A, in the province of Quebec, and then the rest of Canada. And the reason that we say the province of Quebec first is that it was Quebec that was the first province to say that it was going to be going to uh, the passports. Now, of course, we have... uh, Premier Ford of Ontario, sliding off the fence. We have uh, Manitoba going with the passport. Uh, they already have it. Uh, Alberta, uh, sort of in the middle, right? And British Columbia going that route. Jack Jedwab is the president of the Association and the founder of the Association for Canadian Studies. They did the polling. How are you, Jack?
1: I'm good. Why, yourself?
0: Great. Good to have you back on the show. My pleasure. So 58% of Canadians, and I'd like you to give us perspective on this, 58% of Canadians say fundamental rights are not violated when governments engage in lockdowns, limited access to service because of the pandemic. Let's start with that.
1: Right. Uh, The majority of Canadians don't think there's a rights issue uh, when it comes to uh, vaccine passports in this particular case, or at least the elements of uh, the vaccine passport. Uh, That, I suppose, uh, counters what a lot of people who are protesting seem to feel who are claiming that their rights are being infringed. There's about 20% of people who do think it's a rights infringement, and then the balance think it might be a rights infringement, but the rights are, would be lifted in this particular case because they're of the view of this public health emergency.
0: Okay, so can we just look at this, these numbers and who they represent? So 20 to 25% of the population agrees that rights of the unvaccinated are being violated, but that it's tolerable because of the threat that COVID poses to the entire population is is this regional is this uh is there one region of the country that says it's smaller than others? Is it demographics is it gender how does it break down?
1: It breaks down pretty evenly across uh, gender and uh, across regions i mean with the exception of Alberta, where somewhat higher percentage may feel it's a rights infringement, but for the most part uh, there aren't much uh, there is much of a difference across the various demographics.
0: And only ten percent of Canadians believe the rights of the unvaccinated population are being violated by the introduction of and insistence on putting to use vaccine passports. So ninety percent say not being not being violated.
1: right. The uh, vast majority not think that rights are being violated. There is a bit of a difference between those people who just flat out say the rights are not being violated and and a portion of the uh, people are saying yes, they may be violated, but under this concurrent conditions. Uh, uh, there's a legitimacy about suspending those rights.
0: And there's consistency in numbers across the country.
1: Pretty much, yeah.
0: Now, what I found interesting, uh, looking at your studies, younger Canadians are more likely to consider vaccine passports a rights infringement.
1: Yeah, right. There is That's true. There is a bit of a higher percentage amongst younger Canadians. And, you know, that probably coincides with the fact that younger Canadians are less likely than uh, older cohorts to be vaccinated. Right. So if you look at the vaccine percentages, you've got sort of two-thirds of the population uh, under the age of 40, that is to, to, to between the age of 12 and 40, because we know under 12 they're not getting vaccinated, uh, that, are vac- that are vaccinated, whereas above 40, you're looking at uh, upwards of 85% of the population that's that's gotten vaccinated, either partially or fully vaccinated. So there's a relationship between the extent to which people are not vaccinated and their views around these particular issues.
0: British Columbians and Ontarians are most supportive of vaccine passports, but I also see that 80% of Quebecers support the introduction of vaccine passports. That's a big number.
1: Yeah, and, and again, the percentages aren't substantially different between British Columbia, Ontario, and Quebec. There's a few points here or there, but by and large, a substantial support uh, in Quebec and BC and Ontario for vaccine passports, and pretty much uh, across the country. Even though again, there can be these five, ten-point swings, but for the most part, the the support for these types of measures is quite substantial.
0: So, Jack, this is what's going to raise the hackles of quite a few people, and I'm sure I'm going to be hearing this when we open the phone lines in a few minutes' time. 82% of vaccinated people in this country believe the unvaccinated are putting others at risk, which the unvaccinated strongly dispute. Talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, and in fact, uh, when you break that down a bit further, that's sort of the global percentage. 91% of the people who are vaccinated say that the people who are not vaccinated are uh, putting others at risk compared to uh, you know, the flip side of that, being 9 in 10 people are not vaccinated, uh, disagree you know, very strongly with that idea that anyone's being put at risk by their not being vaccinated. So you're seeing this really uh, large polarization between those people are vaccinated in terms of their views around that whole range of issues, whether it involves vaccine passports or whether it involves their perspective on the unvaccinated. And the flip side, the unvaccinated views of uh, countering how the vaccinated feel about them.
0: Yeah, and and relations, as you write in the uh, in in the results in the survey, uh, relations between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated are deteriorating. So, um, what are we looking at here?
1: Yeah, I, if you look at the numbers, the vaccinated think that the unvaccinated are being irresponsible. That's eighty-seven percent that feel that way. Eighty-five percent of the vaccinated feel the unvaccinated are being selfish. Uh, the one area where there's a bit of a consensus, although, is uh, in the extent to which the vaccinated feel that the unvaccinated knows something that they don't. On that count, about 56% of the people who say that, uh, who are vaccinated say that the unvaccinated think they know something that others don't, uh, think they know or whatever. And on the other, on the flip side of that, the unvaccinated 60% of them say they know something, or at least they believe they know something that others don't know. So, there's agreement on that issue, but for different reasons. Yeah, uh, and yeah. what you see is again this tension, which my my sense is from many conversations and from some, you know, focus groups that there's the conversations between the vaccinated and the uh, unvaccinated are, are are not easy conversations.
0: Yeah. So the unvaccinated feel they know something that the vaccinated don't know, and the vaccinated feel the unvaccinated unvaccinated don't know what they're talking about.
1: Yeah, basically that—that's it. That uh, it, it suggests—that's what it suggests if you look at the rest of the findings in the survey.
0: All right. So the takeaway from all of this, Jack, in two or three sentences, what do you—what do you—what do you take away from this?
1: That uh, the dialogue between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, which is ongoing because presumably the vaccinated are trying to persuade the unvaccinated at around you know family dinner tables or amongst friends or so forth that they need to get vaccinated, isn't really uh, a fruitful dialogue, though we are seeing increasing numbers of people and percentages getting vaccinated so that the non-vaccinated group is getting increasingly squeezed, so to speak, by the rising percentage of people vaccinated.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green.